Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When Diplomacy Fails presents The July Crisis Anniversary Project A day-by-day account of the events that occurred 100 years ago TSA's pressure. Today is the 7th of July 2014, and around this time, 100 years ago, occurred the following events. As the Austrian ambassador to Germany lunched with Kaiser Wilhelm II on Sunday the 5th of July 1914, the Austro-Hungarian chief of staff, Konrad von Hotzendorf, was making a case directly to the Emperor Franz Josef himself. Conrad had mostly persuaded the Emperor that a war with Serbia was unavoidable, and that to dally further would be to court disaster for the Habsburgs. How, though, would you fight this war? Franz Josef asked his grizzled war chief. If everyone takes up arms against us? Do we have Germany's backing? Conrad replied, as if all too aware of the Emperor's concerns and the unfolding scene going on at the Kaiser's lunching table that afternoon. Leopold von Berchtold, Austria-Hungary's foreign minister, had after all presented a letter for the emperor to sign in the days before, and Josef understood that it had been designed to appeal for German support. Yet, on the issue of German support, since this was before the German emperor's meeting that Sunday evening with his top officials, or, consequently, his brisk meeting with them early the next morning before he set off on his Baltic cruise, the Habsburg emperor could not be sure. So, Conrad rephrased the question. If the answer is that Germany stands by our side, do we make war on Serbia? The Emperor likely gave a look of foreboding while he shifted uncomfortably in his seat, replying, In that case, yes. It had been quite a journey since Sarajevo, in which the Habsburg heir and his wife were gunned down by an assassin linked to Serbian underground organisations. 
We are reminded of that event now because, also on that Sunday, the 5th of July, the interrogation of Danilo Illich, the recruiter in Sarajevo that had been placed to take the suspicion off the government in Belgrade, finally fingered a Serbian army major in the recruitment and confessed that he had been planted so as to make the entire plot look like it originated from Bosnia rather than Serbia. On Monday the 6th of July, this weighty piece of evidence gave Berchtold renewed confidence, especially when he was furnished with the joint news of Conrad's conversation with the Emperor, which revealed the latter's conditional support for a military response against Belgrade, and when the Austrian ambassador to Berlin phoned home and informed Berchtold about the so-called blank check note of approval that the Hoyos mission had acquired. When Alexander Hoyos arrived in Vienna on early Tuesday morning, the 7th of July, he was able to confirm what the Austrian ambassador had reported, since he had been there in person. As Berchtold and Conrad ate together that morning, following Hoyos' confirmation of the German blank check, Berchtold assured Conrad that Germany will stand by our side unequivocally. Even if our operations against Serbia will bring about the Great War, Germany advises us to strike at once. Such a statement was exactly what the inherently belligerent Conrad wanted to hear. Conrad sent a telegram to the new Archduke, a man named Friedrich, and informed him that since he was now the commander-in-chief of the Habsburg Armed Forces, he had to cancel his planned trip to Hamburg and joined the military planners of the Viennese War Council to prepare for further events. Conrad then rang the operational branch of the army to discuss preliminary measures that would be taken during the mobilisation against Serbia. Because both Berchtold and the Emperor were firmly on board, and because the German approval was in, it seemed as though war would come within the next few days. Both Conrad and Berchtold knew full well, though, that one figure remained ostracised from the entire debate. Stefan Tisa, the Hungarian minister-president, who had the power to veto their plans should he feel inclined to. Berchtold wasn't exactly looking forward to telling the Hungarian that the signs pointed to war and he likely wasn't feeling optimistic about his support in the event, considering the fact that the past few days had been an exercise in deception designed to keep the Hungarian in the dark for as long as possible. When Tisa had discovered what the Foreign Office had been up to, and that his very own plans had been doctored to suit the occasion, he wired through to Vienna to stop the operation. This was on Sunday afternoon the 5th of July though, and by that time, Hoyos had already made his mark. Therefore, Berchtold would have known when he approached the Hungarian that persuading him wasn't going to be easy. As a matter of fact, Berchtold probably wouldn't have been surprised if Tisa simply fought tooth and nail out of spite for being excluded. Yet, as the upper circle in Vienna knew, they had to officially bring the minister-president back into the loop before the relationship got even worse. Berchtold was going to convene an emergency ministerial council meeting for that Tuesday on the 7th of July at 3pm. He felt that, for reconciliation's sake, he should invite Tisa into his confidence before that time. Tisa joined Berchtold in the Ballplatz at noon, accompanied by the German ambassador, Chersky, and the Austrian minister-president, technically a man of equal rank to Tisa, but with certainly less of an impact over the following events than his Hungarian counterpart. This small meeting, taking place before the later bigger meeting, was a humbling experience from start to finish for Berchtold, who was brought down from his warhorse along with the rest of those present in the meeting. 
Baptiza was horrified at the suggestion Hayes had made to his friend and German counterpart, Arthur Zimmermann, while he lunched with him on the Sunday as the Austrian ambassador did the same with the German Kaiser. Hoyos's suggestion was a strikingly frank one, the idea that Serbia would be partitioned upon its defeat by Bulgaria, Albania and Austria-Hungary. Though Hoyos was in fact present at the meeting while this look of horror came across Tiza's face, and had been told by Berchtold beforehand to simply tell the Hungarian everything, it would surely have been a little disconcerting for him to see just how opposed to such belligerent actions one of his superiors were. Because the conclusions and decisions arrived at over the previous days were the ones being presented to Tiza here, and because in a few hours they would be presented to the Ministerial Council for support, Tiza knew he had to step in and alter their conclusions before that happened, lest the war of Slavic absorption ruin Hungary's already tenuous ethnic balance and bring yet more angry Slavs, as he called them, into the Habsburg Empire. He insisted that Hoyos's partition proposal be regarded as Hoyos's personal opinion, and that it not be presented as the policy of government to the later ministerial meeting. Berchtold awkwardly had to acquiesce. Tisa had gone one further though. He also upheld that it was Hoyos's personal opinion that a preemptive strike against Serbia without a declaration of war would be the best policy. Hoyos's belligerence, Tisa argued, did not represent the opinions of the Austro-Hungarian government as a whole, and to present it as though it did during the later meeting would be an egregious offence to the dual monarchy concept. Berchtold conceded that a preemptive, undeclared war against Serbia, followed by a partition of her domains, would not be presented as Austrian policy to the ministers present during the meeting. A concession which granted Tisa his first victory. Tisa perhaps had a point on the issue of the Serbian partition. While Hoyos talked with his friend Zimmerman on the 5th of July, he wasn't necessarily trying to represent Habsburg opinion as a whole, but he still had no authority to make the proposal, and he ought to have known better than to have even mentioned it, considering the possibility of leaks in such an atmosphere. Though it was at its core a conversation between friends, Hoyos was likely egged on by the fact that Zimmerman seemed so agreeable to the idea and that far from restraining his counterpart, informed Hoyos that such aggressive measures were exactly what Berlin wanted to see. Zimmermann, in this case, wasn't speaking for the majority of German opinion either, even if he thought he was. Hoyos would later recall that, far from being furnished with the partition proposal, he had in fact made it up on the spot, since he had worried what the Germans would think if they suspected the Austrians didn't have a plan for the post-war arrangement. Hoyos feared that Germany would lose faith if they began to feel that we could not formulate our own Serbian policy precisely and at unclear objectives. Hoyos, he would later explain, didn't actually desire a partition of Serbia, but he felt that by claiming to support such proposals, Vienna would appear far stronger and determined to take a strong course of action against Serbia, and would thus impress upon Berlin the need to back her up, since she was serious this time. Although Hoyos had to present himself as the essential scapegoat to Tisa, there was still a heavy amount of belligerence due to be present within the ministerial meeting that day, even without such radical proposals infecting what might have been previously open minds. Berchtold would have known the mood of the meeting to be war. Tisa would have known that he was in the minority that afternoon on the 7th of July. The notables who attended the meeting at 3pm included the Minister for Bosnia-Herzegovina, 
who would have already had a score to settle with the Serbs since the Austrian heir had died on his watch. The Austrian minister-president from earlier in the day and the minister for war also attended, as well as Conrad himself. All three of these men wanted war with Serbia as soon as possible, and Berchtold perhaps hoped that, seeing he was in the minority, Tiso would relent and allow the mood to take its course. He opened the meeting by running through the events and results of the past few days, and filled those in who didn't know about the details of the Hoyos mission and the nature of the blank check. Berchtold, who actually chaired this meeting, said that the discussions with Germany brought a most satisfactory result, since Kaiser Wilhelm, as well as Herr Bethwin Hallweg, solemnly promised the unconditional support of Germany in the case of warlike complications with Serbia. Berchtold then tried to massage the truth it had, and claimed that the German government was fully aware of the fact that an armed encounter with Serbia might lead to a war with Russia. In fact, it had been the opinion of the Kaiser and his Chancellor, Bethmann Hallweg, that war might be a likely consequence of the action against Serbia, but that both believed Russia would not in the end intervene. Berchtold's white lie here may be explainable by Hoyes' recollection of what Zimmerman had told him. When the latter informed the Austrian on his mission to Berlin that Germany not only wanted war with Serbia, but also expected Austrian firmness in the event and could count on German support even if Russia intervened. This sneaky technicality is interesting because it shows that Berchtold was still trying to get out a part of what Hoyos had reported back, perhaps with a view of swaying the mood towards more extreme measures and making Tisa's position seem even more solitary. In the end, though, not only did Berchtold not really have to bother, since the mood was belligerent enough already, but it seems clear that whatever the mood had been, Tiza was determined to stick to his guns either way. After listening to Berchtold warn not to appear lenient in the face of Serbian challenges, since to do so would prove fatal to the beleaguered monarchy, Tiza finally took the floor. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He began graciously, admitting that he had been mistaken about Serbia, and that the facts now available pointed to a level of Serbian involvement. Tisa even went as far as saying that the possibility of military action is less remote compared to the previous days. But that was as far as Tisa would go. The Hungarian minister-president certainly had ample ammo he could use. Hoyos's mission had been a shambolic exercise of deliberate exclusion, in which Tisa claimed he had not only been deceived, but Hoyos had presented an unclear picture of Habsburg opinion to their German ally. If Austria-Hungary attacked Serbia without the usual protocols, Tisa warned, then she could count on the enmity of the entire Balkans, except for Bulgaria. Tisa painted a picture of a nightmarish three-front war, in which Austria-Hungary would face Serbia, its Russian ally, and an opportunistic Romania. Tisa wasn't just there to criticise, though. He was also there to propose policy. He explained that a careful diplomatic strategy designed to gain satisfaction without war should be drawn up. First, Austria-Hungary would draw up unequivocal demands on Serbia, and if she refused them, then an ultimatum would be sent to her, and if she failed to respond to that, then actual force would be used. This would, Tisa upheld, lead to a diplomatic victory if Serbia accepted the terms. Tisa promised that, we would have won a diplomatic success, and our prestige in the Balkans would rise. However, Tisa said that if the Serbs remained unmoved, then he would approve of warlike action, but only if, war aims were limited to, a reduction in the size of Serbian territory, but not any kind of partition, since Russia would regard the full annexation of Serbia as a struggle of life and death. Tisa went on the record and declared himself, as Hungarian minister-president, unilaterally opposed to any annexation of Serbia by the dual monarchy, since he explained that any territorial changes should be used to bolster Habsburg allies in the Balkans instead rather than make the Habsburg lands yet more unstable. Tisa also reasoned that it was better to have war later, since Germany's birth rate would soon eclipse that of France, giving them a distinct advantage in numbers. However, Tisa then strangely reminded those present that just because German support was in place did not mean a war was due to take place. Tisa said it was not for Germany to decide whether we ought to go to war with Serbia or not, War was an issue entirely up to Austria-Hungary, and neither its German ally nor outspoken Habsburg statesman could push it towards that war, Tisa claimed. After starting off apparently gracious, Tisa had gone on to list so many preconditions that there was no real way Berchtold, who chaired the meeting, could satisfy him and everyone else. But Berchtold wasn't alone in wanting to respond to the Hungarians' points. Berchtold did get the first move in, though. He addressed the Hungarian issue and noted that Romanian concerns over what Bulgaria might do would lead to the former to think very heavily before investing itself in what might become a two-front war. Though Bulgaria was weakened by the Second Balkan War, 
Berthold claimed that the risk of a two-front war would nullify any possibility of a Romanian attack. Since Romania certainly did not want a two-front war, and Bulgaria would surely be looking for an opportunity to recoup its losses after the previous years. Berchtold then took a page out of the German military planner's handbook, explaining that the question of now rather than later should be answered with now, since Russia's growth and its latest mobilisation law in 1913 meant that whatever advantages Germany would have over France in future would be more than matched by the Russian colossus. This led the more militarily-minded ministers present to join in the argument. Count Sturg, the Austrian minister-president and Tisa's technical equal in rank, addressed him by saying, Count Tisa should take into account that if we pursue a weak and hesitating policy, we may not be able to count on German support in the future. The war minister also rebuffed the Hungarian by attacking his ideas of a great diplomatic victory over a military one. He said, We have already lost two opportunities for solving the Serbian question. If we do this again, this will be taken as a sign of our weakness. In this case, the war minister was referring to the Balkan Wars, in which Austrian prestige notably dipped in the face of inaction, while Serb prestige and power advanced. The war minister also argued that diplomatic niceties impressed no one, and achieved even less. Japan had not declared war against Russia in 1904, it had simply attacked with great results. The Balkan powers had merely joined the morass of war without making formal declarations for as long as possible. Was it not worth learning from these lessons? That the element of surprise was worth more than proving you were a gentleman-like state? Despite the weight of opinion against him though, Tisa managed to carry the day and install his aims and demands on the council. The question of how he did this has a lot to do with Habsburg political culture, but it seems more due to the fact that Tisa didn't want war more than those present at the meeting wanted war. By discussing his points rather than just throwing them out, as statesmen bent on war tend to do when in a hurry and confident of justification through their actions, those present conceded the fact that they were debatable in the first place, and that the Habsburgs were not going to simply smash Serbia then and there, as Conrad wanted to do. By insisting on protocol, and by getting those present to debate it, Tisa was actually succeeding in slowly moving those around to his opinion. Or perhaps, as some historians claim, Tisa was simply too stubborn, and so detested the idea of war, that he refused to budge on his points no matter how loud the pro-war music blared. After two hours of discussion, however he had done it, the council noted that it was prepared to accept Tisa's view according to which mobilisation would not take place until after concrete demands have been addressed to Serbia and, after being refuted, an ultimatum has been sent. The report seemed to acknowledge the fact that the Hungarian stood alone in his convictions though, and perhaps merely accepted the fact that these convictions were stronger than the rest of the ministers, when it stated... All present except Tisa hold the belief that a purely diplomatic success, even if it ended with a glaring humiliation of Serbia, would be worthless. The language here seems almost spiteful, as if letting themselves off the hook because the Hungarian was tenacious and simply wouldn't let it go. It didn't matter what their convictions were in other words, because Tisa got the approval for the sending of an ultimatum, a process which now forms a central part of how we look at the July crisis but was actually only formalised here. 
Even the ultimatum was weakened by Teaser's influence, though. The transcript of the meeting reads that, Count Teaser remarked that he was anxious to meet the others halfway, and was prepared to concede that the demands addressed to Serbia should be harsh. However, Teaser wanted a genuine ultimatum. He didn't want a list of requests so obviously impossible to achieve that Serbia would be bound to disagree and thus guarantee war. All but Teaser, the transcript continues, agreed that such stringent demands must be addressed to Serbia that will make a refusal almost certain. Teaser wanted the demands to be, in other words, very harsh but not so harsh that everyone will clearly understand that we mean to have them rejected. In other words, Tisa wanted the rest of the world to see that Austria had tried to ply satisfaction out of its troublesome neighbour sincerely before launching war. Whether this two-step process of a list of demands, then an ultimatum to accept them if the demands were not accepted, were designed to simply slow the whole process down is arguable. Tisa by no means wanted Serb guilt to go unpunished, but he also strongly preferred diplomatic victories over military ones. Some historians rationalise this as being a result of Tizan knowing just how bad a state the Austro-Hungarian armed forces were really in, but it seems more likely that his opposition is merely a repetition of his previous policy of not wanting a war to dilute the Hungarian influence. The fear of a dampened Hungarian influence was what had previously led him to throw out the partition idea, though he had rationalised it at the time by explaining that taking angry Slavs and Serbs into the already nationalistically troubled empire would make it less rather than more stable. Whatever the motives of the man, his influence on the day's events were profound. Rather than attack, Austria was now going to trawl through the diplomatic channels and seek to win the kind of anticlimactic victory it had acquired before. This, the safer option according to Tisa, was certainly not what the majority of ministers wanted, as they made clear in the transcript. Those of a belligerent stance would surely have hoped that Belgrade refused to accept the ultimatum, which would enable the justification of war. Such justification, though he did not believe in its need, was what Berchtold and those around him now searched to acquire. Teaser's fundamental effects on the day's events meant that, whereas before Habsburg statesmen were seeking war, now they were seeking war through the only remaining channel by Serb refusal of Austro-Hungarian demands. So as to arrive at this refusal faster, Berchtold began to plan the next phase of his mission, the crafting of an ultimatum. However, even with this action there was a problem. Tisa, having been left out in the cold over the previous weekend and its highest mission, was not at all willing to let lightning strike twice. As Hungarian minister-president, he had reminded those at the meeting that any list of demands and any ultimatum which followed it would have to first be approved by Tisa before being sent anywhere. This time, Tisa was determined to have Habsburg diplomatic process run by, rather than being ran around, him. It was a significant development that on this day in history, the 7th of July, Austria-Hungary adopted the two-step note and ultimatum route. It meant that the Germans, their Kaiser and Chancellor, having given the blank check support of before, would now be shackled to this Habsburg policy. The Kaiser may have been expecting an Austrian show of force, but he would now have to sit and wait while one side of the Habsburg Empire sought to follow this process, 
while the other did everything in its power to accelerate and bypass it. It was a great distance from the kind of bold and decisive action that the German ambassador had instructed the Austrians to take. But then, Austria had not really behaved boldly or decisively since 1866. One thing was clear from the storm of letters and notes that were formulated the next day on the 8th of July. German policymakers were not at all happy with this Habsburg course. Realisation would surely have dawned that, like it or not, Germany was shackled to whatever result Austria gained out of its diplomatic process. Little wonder that historians, musing at the way in which Austria bumbled through the following month's ordeals, how it delayed, demonstrated a lack of urgency, and acted without the characteristic efficiency of German administration, would comment that Germany was shackled to something far worse than an ally. It was shackled to a state which seemed to have lost the concepts of urgency, prestige, or confidence in its cause. It was, in a sense, shackled to a corpse. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 